0: Please.
1: Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon to pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at FunkinStuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies. You'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend. Tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here. Truth and Rhythm shirts show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the funk exhibition center and hall of fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official funk ambassador. Go to the funkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. This episode of Truth and Rhythm features one of the deepest purveyors of hardcore funk, who since the 1990s has flown farthest off the mainstream radar. Philip Jones, more commonly referred to as Phil the Funky Instrumentalist, and PTFI for short. With throbbing bass, sputtering synth, and psychedelic guitar, and a sensibility perhaps best described as P-Funk meets Dr. Dre, (laughs) PTFI has released five albums of his own, and produced several for other artists. All of them are wall-to-wall heavy funk. His latest, The Future Is Now 2020, came out the first of the year. Phil, how are you, man? So glad to have you.
0: Hey, man, it is definitely a pleasure and honor to be a part of this interview process with you. We had to iron out those certain noses that were on the way, trying to just get in our way from preventing this from happening, but with a little funk and telekey, we overcame it, so. It's all good, my man.
1: No doubt. Got to keep that syndrome at bay.
0: (laughs) So we're going to talk a lot of funkism, so I'm ready for this. Let's get it, man.
1: Very cool. And, you know, I told you this off air, but I'm I'm a big fan. You've been keeping it real all this time. And, you know, true funketeers like myself, that just touches my heart. So thank you.
0: (laughs) No, you know what? And let me reciprocate that because that's why I do it for folks just like you. I'm not trying to appeal to the mainstream or try to get that hit and retire off of having a one hit one. no, I like doing what I do because of folks like you and those that listen to the funk and that will always be there for me. Um, I like it when people express themselves. When they hear some of my music that I do, it's like, man, that stuff is kind of hidden. I said, yeah. And they would tell me something crazy like, funk is dead. And I'm like, no, funk is not dead. It may have evolved a little, but it's not dead. So thank you, too.
1: That's all I got to say on that. (laughs) Yeah, thank the Lord it's not dead, because I don't know what I would do. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, even you know, with the
0: pop music that's happening now and the stuff that my daughter listens to and uh, I can still feel a little funk in the background but as you listen to my music I like to bring it right to your face and say here it is and just hit you with it over and over again so that's part of my whole theory of electro hypnotic bump music is to try to get you in a trance of the funk we got all this EDM stuff but I want to make sure it's a trance of the funk when we got the stuff coming over and over again to you
1: yeah, I mean, that was kind of a double-edged sword. We could go off on this kind of stuff forever, I'm sure, but that was a kind of double-edged sword when funk kind of, you know, really went in the background, you know, in the mid, late 80s. Then it kind of like, in a way, sort of went mainstream and that it filtered through all these other ways through, you know, a lot of contemporary music, through mm-hmm. TV commercials and movies and all this stuff. It sort of got more ingrained in the culture, but also got pushed to the side, you know, in terms of uncut funk,
0: you know? Right, and, and, you know, it's the DNA of it all. I, I mean, you're an old-time funketeer like myself. We remember songs like, um, what was that song? Uh, um, we are those party people. I was like, what the heck are they doing? That yeah. was the attempt of disco at the time, right? That It still had that funk in it, but if you really listen to it, he was going with the trends of the times. So I understand that. I get it. As we go full circle, another good 40 years now, you still hear that funk. You might even hear a little disco in some of these things, too. But that funk is the thing that just stays on top of it all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: That's my take on it. <laughs>
1: we'll get That's more. we got a lot take. to unpack, Phil, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Where? So you're from the Bay Area originally, is that?
0: Well, I was
1: born in
0: Atlanta, Atlanta GA, um, but we've been in California since I was eight years old. So I was born in Atlanta, but raised in the o- Oakland. And man, there was so much funk happening at that time. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was, uh, I got an early start with the music scene. I mean, my, um, parents at the time were just playing all types of music from Curtis Mayfield. Uh, I would have to sneak and listen to those Richard Pryor albums. I don't know if you know anything about that, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was um, exposed to the music at a very early age and started playing, um, took up drums when I was what, in oof, third grade, uh, then morphed into playing the trumpet all the way through junior high school. And, but it all changed when I got a guitar. I was like whoa that just it just opened up another world to me just being able to play melodic bass lines uh melodies all within that one instrument so and that was about when i was in the ninth grade so from that time on it just started to expand and got into keyboards and just kept on going and just kept on going and
1: and lo and behold, the Funk Instrumentalist was born. <laughs> um, well, you were in two areas, I mean, just deep with funk. I mean, Atlanta and uh, the Bay Area both have such deep roots in funk. So, Oh, absolutely. You
0: know, we had Sly over here in, in Oakland and uh, Larry Graham, and, uh, you know, the inventor of the thump. I mean, get, Mr. Graham is something else. I know we always uh, talk about Mr. Brown, but I always like to say Mr. Graham because it's a deep respect for what he did with the base and just took it to another whole level. Just like Jordan did with basketball, I think um, Mr. Graham did that with the base. No
1: question. Atlanta, I mean, you know, groups like uh, Cameo and Brick. and (laughs) Brick, man, they, man, I
0: remember when they were just trying to, get it going. And when they got that hit, what was it? Up, uh, I want to say dudes? No, Daz, 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 disco jazz. Yeah. that Man, the way they just came, it just, it was just in your face and that drum beat was just so prevalent. I was like, man, I'm proud of you guys. You just sounded really good. They, they really took it to the next level of funk. We needed it at that time too.
1: That, that particular track actually still just to this day, it's one of my all-time, all-times. I just never get tired of that group. Never get enough of it, right? You can just get it on the endless loop and just keep it going and
0: going. Man, it's just just some, You know, and some songs are just like that. You can just listen to them over and over again, and it just kind of, you know, get that hypnotic vibe going, and you're like, man, this is all right. I
1: like this. Yeah, to me, when you find a song that cannot get played out, that is
0: something else. Key. <laughs> <laughs> Not get played out because there's a lot of played out stuff out there right now, (laughs) but we won't get too
1: deep into that. So, uh, you're ninth grade, you're you're messing around with the guitar, you're getting some other instruments and things like that. Did you have any lessons, or you just did it on your own?
0: No, the only lessons, like I said, were with drums and um, and with the trumpet, and you know, learned how to read music back then, but like I said, I I remember bugging my mom to get a guitar because I wanted to learn how to play the bass line from Flashlight (laughs) of all songs, right? Which really wasn't a bass, as we all know. That was Mr. Bernie Worrell, right? Doing his thing with that synthesizer. So, uh, but to emulate those sounds and get close to it and, and try to map it out, it just opened up my mind to other things to see how If you have something as solid as the bottom the drums and the bass put the rhythm on each side of the speakers you can have a lot of funk happening you know as they say you can free your mind and the rest will follow right so that's started doing that at a
1: real real early age yeah you mentioned flashlight you know that's one of the songs i still remember the very first time i listened to it because that record um bob gun was the first single and so that's what I heard on radio. And I got the album Close to Dr. Funkenstein, and it got to that flashlight track. And I mean, talk about mind blown. That was just okay, one of those ones. I, I,
0: I, got, I got to do a Funk and check with you. So, uh, Bob oh, Gun. Yeah,
1: sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I had Bob Gun, right? Um,
0: the 45. I, I remember buying the 45, the Bob Gun. And I was like, man, what is this? This this thing where they're hitting the snare on the one and the seven, that's kind of strange and somebody's saying, yeah, what's going on here? But it was laying down the foundation for what was to come. One of the, to me, I'm not speaking on any other funk legends, but to me, one of the best albums of all time. So only six tracks, right? That's when you can do six songs and everyone was happy. But that right there, that album, it just went from that Bob gun into the a Funk IntelliKey, the certain Nose was born. It was I mean, it just, it just opened up everything. So that's my favorite all-time Parliament. I'll say Parliament album because, you know, we got so many versions of the Funk. So I'll say that was my all-time Parliament album. Yeah. And it just got going. And I had the comic book in there. You can you look can't... in and see what was happening. Like, man, let me listen to this. Let me read this while I'm listening to this song. And let me look at because we didn't have the videos, right? right like how all the kids have now. I mean, the video's out before the album is out these days, right? So for us, we had to use our minds and our imaginations to make sure that we wanted to follow along with this crazy concept. You know, you had Dr. Funkenstein, Starchild, trying well, that,
1: to... That one introduced Sir Nose, too, that whole...
0: Thing. Right, right. And they were g- going to do battle with Sir Nose. So, And at that time, I couldn't really figure it all out. But when you look at it and kind of step back... It was the, the all time battle, of good versus evil, right? So, <laughs> so we had that, and it, I was I was sprung every since. Did we talk about the time when? Uh, since we're talking about this funk stuff, how I got my funk? Um, what my first Parliament album? Not album. I'm
1: sorry, my first Parliament
0: concert. Did we
1: talk about that last week? Well, you and I talked that about uh, that crazy trip you went to the Funk Fest. I definitely wanted you to recount that because, you know, that yeah. sounded like it was like a big, like a pilgrimage, you know? Oh, uh, that,
0: that's, that's exactly what it was. But before that, before we went on that long journey, um, I remember seeing Parliament from what I can, I was in the sixth grade, so I got to go back a little bit. I got to go to my first Parliament concert in 75 or 76 at the Oakland Auditorium. I think they called it something totally different. Now, it wasn't the Coliseum. This was the Auditorium down by the lake, by Lake Merritt. And uh, I, that was something I didn't understand what was happening. I mean, they were doing crazy stuff on stage that I couldn't even, my mind couldn't even comprehend it. But that's when Tear the Roof Off the Sucker was to hit. It was... um right before they were gearing up to start doing the mothership tours where they would land the mothership this was pre-mothership so they were up there just doing their thing and acting crazy and smoking all type of stuff and having a blast on stage but i i didn't really understand it but i think that was one of the first times that was the first time huh i got my my it was two of us that went no three of us that went i remember taking a picture out front I believe one of the moms or dads dropped us off. It's kind of a blur, but we got dropped off. They, we didn't have any adult supervision at this uh, concert.
1: But something must have made you want to go to it. I mean, how'd you get turned on? Oh,
0: it? Oh, the the Mothership Connection album. Just listening to that thing over and over again, getting in the early spanking at at the age of oof, 13, maybe. Yeah, 13, 12, 13. Yeah, and... Uh, Listen to uh, the the first track, P Funk. When it comes in, it sounds like a DJ talking to you. I'm like, what is this? This is this is not normal music that I'm hearing compared to everything else that was happening at the time. And then to go into the heavy Star Child and and uh, it 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 just was it was taking me on a trip. They didn't have any cartoons or anything, you know, no no notebooks or anything or posters in, included with that. But it was taking your ears on a trip and um, I hadn't heard anything like it, and that's why I wanted to go see them. Now, you know and I know that live concerts are totally different than what you get on WAX or, or the studio version, so it was it was very eye-opening for me. So when, they, when I heard they were coming back to do the landing of the mothership, I wanna say that was in 77. Yeah, Take Funk to Heaven in 77. That's when I truly got turned out because when they landed that spaceship, you know, the only groups are doing stuff even remotely close to that where they um label mates um kiss at the time doing all you know, it's just rock groups having that big extravaganza of a concert and that right there. I was like, okay, this is it, I, I, I know what I want to do,
1: <laughs> and but now that you, was took, just you took a bus, my... you took a bus all the way down from.
0: Now that's a different. Now yes, that's um, the okay. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. That was a different one. See, I'm I'm giving you the the whole pilgrimage of how we did. So after that, you're talking about um, the the uh, the funk. What I can't even think of the name, funk but funk. it was the funk, the funk fest. It was the funk fest at the um, L.A. Coliseum, and that was crazy. My uh, my play brother. Uh, He wanted to go. I wanted to go. It was in L.A. His mom, um, Lady PJ, she got us tickets, but it was in L.A., right? So let me tell you how we raised the money to get down there. It was funny. I don't think I told you this part of the story. So two nights before the show, we actually did a house party, and we charged everybody a dollar to get in. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have no real DJing equipment or anything, so we took one turntable from His mom's stereo took one from my mom's stereo. We put them together. We didn't even have a crossfader. We would just let the song fade out and start the album. It was was crazy, but it worked, and everybody liked it. We made enough money so we can have some spending money, buy our own little bus ticket, and our parents at the time, I mean, I would ever, 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 ever think of letting my little baby girl go to L.A. on the bus at the age of 15, 14 years old but they trusted us. We were responsible. They saw that we knew how to earn a little money and for something we really want to do. And we went, man. And then that, that was when the motor booty affair, you know, where they had the big bird come out in and uh, had all of the underwater effects going. Boosie was there. Rick James was there. Uh, the Brides. It was just, it was just too much funk, man. It started early in the day, like around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It didn't end until almost 1 o'clock in the morning. And we almost missed the bus to get back. We would have got a big trouble if we missed that bus, because we had to leave before Parliament was uh, off the stage. So we, as as they were still up there doing our thing, we had to go get on the bus, and we made it back. So, But that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome. That's a fantastic story. And, um, oh, man. A yeah,
0: mentioned... lot, lot of people don't know that story, so um, that's a that's a good one, man, but it was very inspiring. I bet you were just on a funk high that whole bus ride back. Exactly, and, you know, that was before, you know, that was truly a natural funk high. I mean, it was just, it was out of this world. And, and then I want to say the following week, weekend, they had the Funk Fest up in Oakland, and we ended up going to that too. So uh, it, was, it wasn't the same as the one in LA, but it was just as funky, and uh, it was another mind-blowing experience, man. So the the early, I always like to say, I was a teenager on the mothership, because around that time, I was truly a teenager on the mothership, and I was just riding it for the funk of it, because that was just, it was um, it was a way of life. You know? The rest is history, but we could pick we're, up after that though.
1: We're, we're, all, we're all clones, man, from that era, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if you can see back there, but that's the Mothership Connection album. Oh, the gold one? The gold one. <sighs> yeah, and that's an, okay. an original, authentic one that I got my hands on, but that was the first record, too, that turned me on. The whole thing illuminated me and, you know, what you're saying about hearing it and how it's different everything. I mean, it's just the exact same. Experience and um, I didn't get to see him that early on, so I kind of envy that you saw him that soon. Um, (laughs) But that was my first Parliament record, and then it was a while later when I discovered oh, there's also Funkadelic, yeah, you know, Hardcore Jollies was the first Funkadelic I think I got my hands on.
0: You know what, I think that's when I started, what made me start to go back is when they landed that mothership and they were doing all those songs from off of Funkadelic albums, and I was like, wait a minute, that's not on the Parliament album So I ended up going back and digging and, you know, becoming a, a, a crate digger, just going to the record stores, trying to find the albums and stuff. I'm like, whoa, they did this too? So yeah, I think a lot of people went through that change, that same type of, you know, finding the funk, because you know, they had the hit with that Mothership Connection. I mean, they, they also had a hit with um, Chocolate City. and,
1: but nothing the
0: of, yeah, 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 but nothing like that Mothership Connection album. Nothing at all.
1: Yes, right. it's, it's
0: tough. It's tough to touch it to this day. I mean, it's just so so many things were happening. I don't think they knew what stuff that they were doing. <laughs> but that's the DNA of a lot of the stuff that I do. I mean, I say it with, with a big smile on my face because I like to have it in most of the stuff I do. I, I mean, I adventure and do other type of stuff, too, but I, I always like for it to have that oomph in it, and that's usually the fun.
1: Yeah. What helped me discover some of the older stuff was there was a DJ in Los Angeles who saw out there doing it called The Shell of L.A., and he would, at house parties, he would break out, you know, deep cuts, and uh-huh. I remember one time at one of those house parties hearing uh, Get Off Your Ass and Jam, uh-huh. and I was like, So, you know, I was like, wow, I got to go back and get all these. And I did. Then I was on a a mission to get every single one.
0: And then, you know, as times changed, not to fast forward too much, but when CDs started coming out, I needed to get them all over again because I wanted to have a nice, crispy, clean version of all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's just like the whole theory with Funk Never Dies. It may evolve, but it, it never dies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um... Flashlight was like the first real groove that you kind of taught yourself, and
0: pretty much the foot. And I'm sure I was playing it wrong, probably still play it wrong to this day because you know it's some, it sounds like a real simple line, but it's so many twists and turns of the knobs that Bernie's doing all the way through. So, uh, much respect, like as you can see, you know, move that's that's the keyboard of choice these days, so and. I just pronounced it wrong, a lot of people think it's pronounced Moog, it's Moog, and that's uh, Bob Moog, the inventor of the keyboard that Bernie just tears apart when you listen to some of these um, classic P-Funk albums and riffs, it's through that, it's, the DNA is right in here, that, this thing right here, that, that Moog keyboard, it's, uh, it's a monster. I mean, you can get really deep, but at the same time, you can get all of those little inner terrestrial type sounds that you hear on some of my stuff. Of course, all the stuff that you hear Bernie does uh, is is a one of a kind instrument.
1: Yeah, I love that instrument, um, but mm-hmm. especially what he did with it, you know. And oh. first groups like the Gap Band made a whole career out of out of that. Oh. Oh, yeah, of course.
0: They take, take They just took one little piece of it, though, and made a whole career out of it. That's how strong it
1: was, so. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, aside from the P, what other musical influences or sort of heroes did you have? Uh, let's see here.
0: Um... I'm gonna say one of my heroes, and he's and he's actually in my little world that I'm in. Zootzilla. I don't know if you've um, heard anything from Zootzilla. I know you heard of Bootzilla, but uh, uh, bam! That's what i was supposed to say. Damn, damn PG, there you go. That's, what are you talking about? On the, of course I know Bootzilla. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because uh, that cat. I remember hearing his first song before I started to do his albums was uh, Wolf Whistles and Cat Calls that was actually a single, it was a cassette if you will, that's how far back we were going, back like in the 90s or early 2000s and I was like who is that cat? It sounds like the P, but I could tell it's not the pee and then when I found out Hampton was on it, I was like oh wait a minute, so it is the pee, but It was somebody doing some independent stuff and um, another guy that's in my camp, um, Dr. Illenstein, another clone, he introduced me to Zoozilla and the rest is history. And it was just like, man, we we got to we have a bond so hard. He does what's called um, the funk whispering um, concept. So I'll send him a track. And instead of just having lyrics, you know, a lot of people have music, and they put the lyrics on top of it, and boom, they're done. He actually listens and feels the track. I mean, literally. And he, what he told me is that the track truly talks to him, like a ghost whisper, but it's a funk whisper, and it's telling him what to say. When that cat told me he was doing that to my music, I said, oh, man, we're going to be partners for life. So... <laughs>
1: That's and that's cool. how we've
0: been working pretty much, yeah. So yeah, that's funny how you just pulled up the.
1: the, the <laughs> well, yeah. you know, that's that's how I first you know became aware of, of you, and um, you know I got that off the the funkstore.com. You know, um, that's right? Yeah, yeah. Those those are
0: some good guys down there. Uh, the phone store, cause it's hard to find funk. I mean, you can look and search, and but if you want to just go, say, let me just wade through all this other madness, let's go right there, and you'll pretty much find the new funk as well as some of the old funk, and then some funk that you can't find in in any other places as well, too.
1: Yeah, and I mean around that time, especially in the um, like by the '90s, you know, I mean I was so hungry for actual, you know, real funk. I mean it was such a vast wasteland desert of lacking funk. You know, I mean George was only doing a couple projects and. Ah, uh, Prince was helped keeping alive, but he was off in different tangents too.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Now, that's that's you know, and that's what I. When you said heroes, yeah, of course I got my heroes like Jimi Hendrix, Prince. But the, those are all the known heroes to me. My heroes are the ones that may not be in that known world. You know, where like Zootzilla, they'd be like, oh, you mean Boozilla? No, I mean Zootzilla. I'll say Dr. Illenstein. Be like, Yo, you mean Dr. Falkenstein? No. Illenstein, these these clones of these superheroes, because definitely George is a superhero. Uh Boosie. Glenn Goins, I mean, rest his soul, man. I at, when he would just call on the mothership, it was a spiritual awakening. I mean, stuff like that. I got tons of those. And then even in the rap world, I got Shock G, who did some work with us back um when we were trying to get our stuff off the ground. Um it's it's really too many to mention. I mean, it's a thousand of them. But when it gets down to my little world, it's only you can you can kind of hold them in, in a couple of hands. Those guys right there pretty much stay true to what they do. A lot of them got nine to five gigs like I do. You know, so they you know they work hard by day, but funk by night is what I call it. You know, they put on their they put on their their suit like Superman throughout the day, but then they pull off the sheet and get busy. When it's time to get busy with that funk, so those are my heroes right there. Yeah, to
1: name a few. But so then in the '80s, what was your life mostly like? I mean, you did some oh. rap stuff, right?
0: <laughs> you really going back on me? Of course, the rap, the rap side of it, helped keep the funk alive because the the, the you could call it the curse or the blessing of sampling kicked in. So a lot of folks started sampling and going back to in the 80s, I actually started going down a different avenue. I started listening to, this might make you laugh, a lot of new wave type stuff from Devo to, uh, (laughs) who else was, uh, man, The Cure, uh, Thompson Twins, because I was, Tripping off of how they were using their synthesizers back then in the eighties, the synthesizer was prevalent more so than ever. And depending on how they would do their melodies, you can hear a little bit of funk in it still. She a lot of people oh, man, you're crazy." Yeah, but but they were it would float on top. So yeah, a lot of folks. I was just listening to I don't know if you remember this group, the Buzz Boys. I think they were from L. A. They were like a little yeah. novelty act, and they weren't. <laughs> They were a little ahead of their time. They were talking some crazy stuff on their records, but um, I would groove to that, but I would always bring it back. I'm like, that's that planet. That's that planet. Let me see if I can incorporate some of all of this stuff into my universe. So that's kind of been my whole thing throughout the 80s. Yeah, We were really engulfed with a lot of new wave stuff. And you kind of sip it or either you can get engulfed by it. We just kind of, I did. I just wanted to take what I could learn and keep trying to
1: to involve the funk. There was a lot of funk that went through the new wave if you listen to it, um, like Human League, Talking Heads, Depeche Mode. um, Human League, right. Yes, right, right. It was some funk in that stuff, but people
0: would say, well, no, that wasn't funk, man. How can you call that funk? I know it wasn't the p funk, but it was a different version of how the groove can be really hypnotizing with that beat and, and hitting on the one and coming with some of those nice claps. I know a lot of a lot of the 80s groups just wore out that clap. Prince was one of the main cats that wore the clap out, but I, I loved it, you know, cause he was showing that, okay, we gotta hit it like this, hit it hard and make it hit hard with the clap too. So yeah, but I would say during the 80s, Prince, the way he stepped into the scene playing all the instruments, not having to worry about a band until it's time to perform or or whatnot, that really inspired me too to say, hey, okay, you can do some of this, especially when home studios start to become more reasonably priced versus having to spend an arm and a leg to go to the studio and try to just literally go bankrupt trying to just do one song. So um, definitely Prince. He got in there and showed that hey if you got some skills and some chops you can do it yourself and you can he found out later that the being signed to Warner Brothers that's another whole story i'm sure you know about after a while he figured hey i need to get out of this so i can be free and do my own thing as well
1: even more so
0: much props to him
1: yeah um my my top three, I, I don't think we we didn't talk about this. Oh, but you P got Punk, three? Okay, P, let's hear here. Key Funk three? Prince. Brando. And um, the third one is a tough call, you know, um, because there's so many that could go in that slot. Um, but sure. I mean I could go I could go from Stevie Wonder to Herbie Hancock to uh, um you know, Isley Brothers, you know. I mean oh, yeah, so, yeah. Or, or Ohio players actually. Um, yeah, let's see. And that's what I'm trying to get. at. see. So we got all
0: I look at it as truly. They all have their own planets, man. They can pretty much hold their own. They got their own gravity. They got their own uh, uh, rotation. They they you can just sit there and just truly invent a whole channel just on them. And that's why I say it. it's it's really hard for me to just say, OK, well, that one, that one, that one. It's all of them. I like to take it all and just bring it in you know because if i i never was one of the guys to say you know what oh man that sucks man that's just no i was let me tell you quick another quick little story that might make you laugh i was at a, a wedding reception and um a song came on and um the people we were sitting at the table the lady said some lady sitting next to me said i hate that song and the lady on the other side of me, kind of almost started crying, right? And she said, uh, no, but I asked her, so what's wrong? And she said, uh, that was the song we got married to. You see, so what necessarily moves one may not move the other, but it's the respect. You know, sometimes even just saying something as simple as that might hurt somebody. We got a lot of sensitive folks, I get that. But sometimes when it comes to music and anything artistic, it's all in the eye of the beholder or the ear of the beholder, too. I'm always open to listen to different styles, you know, just because in different sounds, if you will, because it's all coming from. I don't want to get too deep. It's all coming from the one and it just kind of blooms differently to different folks. And. I just thought that particular story stuck to Whitney for a long time and I've always caught myself. So I pretty much, you won't never really hear me say, well, no, I'll never do that. Or I don't like that. Or that
1: sucks. Yeah. Oh,
0: that sucks. I mean,
1: well, okay. Yeah. For me.
0: Yeah. It actually sucks for me, but for someone else it might be their theme song or their life, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's good words to live by. And you know what I found in doing this show, that just about all the musicians, no matter how deep they are in any one genre, the commonality is they're open, they're open vessels to like such a wide range of sounds and styles. And because of that, it's enriched what they do so much. Mm. Because they bring little pieces of that into what they do and that helps make it more unique and also fosters more innovation.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was watching one of your interviews with, um, with the guy from, uh, slapback, man. I, I, that. Yeah. oh, that, that, that cat, man. Uh, he, he's a hero. Yeah. Let me just say that. I know he's been through a lot. You know, um, I think his house burnt down if I'm, or something in the studio and he's still being true to himself, man, with his music. So that's, that, that says yeah. a lot, man. So, um, much props to that guy right there, uh I think I have hold on a second uh, does this look familiar? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's like that definitely yeah,
1: uh, yeah, have you ever seen that uh video he has on YouTube where he lays down all the parts to uh word up?
0: Oh no! No, very cool. I, I, I haven't seen. Um, I haven't seen that. I bet that's interesting.
1: <laughs> he cut them all. He cuts them all together with him doing all the different parts, and it sounds amazing.
0: Oh, that's a talented um, individual. I, I really like his style. Like what he, what he, you know, to me, somebody like that should have his own planet as well. He's one of those guys that's you know has evolved and has survived with funk, if you will. Because I don't know if I'm not mistaken, he didn't really start off in the funk world, but he kinda evolved to it, right? Um
1: I think it's more, more yeah, more, we got more some good product.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, say that again.
1: I think he might have been more off on the rock direction originally, yeah, and then he ended up funk. Right, right. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, that was that was a good interview that you did with him. I was I was like, okay, yeah. When I saw that interview, I said, Yeah, I gotta get with this guy right here. He's <laughs> all right. <laughs>
1: Appreciate it. Um, so in the 80s, though, when you're doing that, and as far as rap goes, I mean, me too, besides the new wave stuff, I gravitated towards a lot of the rap because the funk was definitely coming in heavy on the rap side with people like Houdini and, uh, of course, Run DMC, but uh, Cool Moe D, you know, the guys that were like actually using funk backing tracks. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, they actually were having some bands sometimes come in and play, um, especially on the Sugar Hill side of things. You remember that they they had their whole organization where they they weren't they hadn't started sampling yet, but they actually had um, musicians. And then you you brought up Houdini, and this kind of ties it to that '80s funk. Uh, Thomas Dolby did some stuff with Houdini, and. I was a Thomas Dolby fan as well, too. I mean, not just with the Blinded with Science, but the way he was using, um, I want to say the Starlight keyboard, where it had this massive sampling array way ahead of anybody that was sampling at the time. So much love out to uh, Thomas Dolby. And if I'm not even, not mistaken, I think even George did some work with Thomas Dolby back yeah, then, too. too. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, And that's going back to what you were saying how you just take bits and pieces and bring it all together to the one so
1: what were your aspirations so i mean were you thinking you were gonna score big in the music industry or were you kind of always thinking it would be this and i would like work a nine to five or what what was your mindset
0: the mindset i was going to be the next biggest funkadelic uh offshoot ever you know that was You know the original mindset, but over time and life kicks in. And um, let's see, how can I say this? Uh, Yeah, life kicks in. Especially, I was blessed with my first son thirty-two years ago. So I said, okay, can I do this and and keep a good income coming, or either say, okay, we're going to chance it and risk it over here, and just say all or nothing i didn't do the all or nothing i started to develop in what i call the three l's you got um family you got finances and then you got funk. now the problem what happens with some folks that i've seen they get that order mixed up some get get lucky and you know saying okay i'm putting funk before anything or or finances before I like to keep them straight in that or family finances phone and it seems to be working out for me so far I I I have no regrets Uh, I love what I do Uh, I love um, the people that I work with I don't work with a ton of folks but the folks that I do work with pretty much have the same philosophy as I have when it comes to taking care of the main three things that you need to do and that's kind of the way I like to roll and they roll that way with me with no regrets. But yeah, I I really thought, yeah, this is it. I'm gonna I'm gonna build my own spaceship. I'm gonna shape it into the size of a star and have it come down on the stage too. I had all types of crazy uh ideas and dreams. But yeah. Over time and when when life kicks in, you gotta make some adjustments and either roll with it or sometimes get rolled over by it. So I chose to roll with life.
1: Hey, Amen. Being grounded, there's a lot to that, um, to live you that, know, your best life. Um, and, you know, you bring to mind sort of uh, some common experience I had in that area too. I mean, because my first, I was living in Los Angeles uh-huh. and ensconced in the music entertainment industry and doing all that. And then my, um, you know, I ended up, I got, I got married, I had my first son mm-hmm. and uh, you know what? I took uh, about 10 years, basically 10 years off almost, you know, mm-hmm. to move and do the family thing and really make that a priority. And then after a while, you know, kind of came back more into this, but that's gotta be the priority.
0: Oh yeah. And, 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 you know, it, God bless the folks that can make it their own one and only thing that's great and it, it's not a lot of folks that that I know that you know in my universe if you will that can make some choices that don't follow that order if they I've seen some tragic things happen when a lot of people put all the eggs in one basket and it doesn't it's not a good story. But those who seem to say, "Okay, let me prioritize and get it going in a certain order," seems to work
1: out for the best. So, very cool. Well, let's dig more into some of your uh, your albums. So let's that, that Zoot Zilla was the first one that you actually had your production credit, and you know, as we go through these, I'm going to mention some of my favorite tracks. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Bring you know, it, man. Yeah, yeah. So on that one, um, Hot Spank.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, the Hot Spank, Pimp Stew,
1: and Monkey woo. That's like <laughs> that slow funk. You got the guitar in there.
0: Man, that one's right there. Uh, Zootzilla, myself, and then uh, David Chaos, who uh, he actually did some work with George way when we were all doing our demos at George every day. The other day, just in here, man, here. But uh, uh, David Hayes uh, He was DJ slash guitar player, uh, multi-instruments, multi-instrumentalist, if you will. Um, and he's actually playing bass on that track. And man, uh, when we got together, it was, first just started out as a groove because it was just us three. And by the second take, I mean, we didn't really do a a lot of songs where we truly got together and did them all at that one time, but that track was one of the songs where we truly got together like a band and did one take and said, "Okay, roll the tape now." And then after that one practice tape, that's kind of was that was the end product what you hear on there, and it, it pretty much comes out that way too because uh, that's one of my favorite tracks too,
1: <laughs>
0: <And> especially, <laughs> with Zo- especially with especially with screaming and yelling all on top. I, I love that mess.
1: <laughs> and then you already mentioned wolf whistles, but that was another one. Um, just you know that slow funkadelic style, kind of like promental, pro-mental shit. Back watch that ghost Oh, absolutely. And, and see,
0: and like I said, that was the turning key that got us all together because uh, Zuzilla pretty much produced that one by himself. He went to the studio, uh, he got got in touch with uh, Kid Funkadelic. He came to the studio and. If, the story, if I'm telling the story right, don't be mad at me, Zoot, if I'm telling the story wrong. Uh, there were some girls in the studio just sitting around, and he said, okay, I need you, you, and you to sit over here, and I need you to go da 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 da, da. He hummed it to him, and then, as you can hear on the record, that's exactly what happened. They came and threw it down, and the rest was history. It sound, sounded great. Uh, but if I'm not mistaken, it was pretty much a lot of uh, studio musicians that Helped with that. The only main one that I know of that is not a studio musician was Mike Hampton, and of course he just played the hell out of that guitar solo all over from the beginning all the way to the end. So,
1: yeah. So and there's people that's going to be watching and listening to this, and this may very likely be off their radar, but mm-hmm. I want to bring it onto their radar. You know, because in that yeah. track, I mean, if you dig, if you're watching or listening to this, and you dig stuff like Sir uh, Nose or Pro Mantle. Or any of that slower, deep, hypnotic kind of funkadelic Parliament stuff. You got to check this out. Oh um, man, definitely, definitely. Did you get to meet uh, Kid Funkadelic?
0: Not in that session. But, uh, this, was, like I said, that was before we, me and zoo had even hooked up. But later, as you start going down, you know, my history of records. Yeah, we, we kicked it and hung out, and that's how he actually hung. He actually turned up on. Um, where did he show up next? Did he show up on Ill's album next? Or it might have been my first solo one on Beware the Sample Troll. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I, I want to say if the next time we got together studio-wise was over at um, Dr. Illenstein's studio, and he was hanging out there, and I said, man, I got a track for you. I want you to put put some of your kid Funkadelicisms on it. And he's like, yeah, man, no problem and I was blown away by what he did. I listened to the track about two or three times, and he was like, okay, I got it. A lot of people may not know this, but Mike is one hell of a rhythm guitar player. We know him for his solos, right, and all just maggot brain and just, I mean, just scaling all over. But when it comes to that rhythm, those rhythm tracks, he's a beast, a beast man. I. Seeing him do it live too, and a little inside note—he actually was playing my guitar on that too. So I, that was another, um, a yeah. lifetime achievement for me to get him, get Kid Funkadelic to play my guitar. Right. So that was uh, that was pretty awesome.
1: No, no disrespect to you, because you're a good guitar player in your own right. But I mean, nah. that must have, you know. <laughs> but you know, no. Kid, Kid was always my 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 number one P funk guitar player because I think. When I came to the mm. the P, he was really kind of the prominent one. Eddie Hazel had sort of already gone a little bit to the back. And, right. uh, you know, my captain, man, you know, I'm wondering when you mentioned his rhythm playing, was he playing like rhythm on a track like uh, Charlie? Um, it, it, see, and that's the magic with, with
0: Funkadelic and Parham. They never really mapped out who was doing what, when, where, and how I just said the players and just threw all the names in there. So, you really, at least I really don't know, but we got some funkies that could probably tell you, oh, yeah, on Flashlight, that was catfish, you know, on this one, I'm deep, but I'm not that deep. So, uh, I think Flashlight, yeah, I saw it's something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. So uh, I just saw uh, something on YouTube, just doing a little bit of homework before our interview, t- for this interview, there's somebody that has a version of Flashlight on YouTube, and they say down in the comments, <clears throat> listen to Mike play the rhythm. I'm like, listen to Mike play the rhythm? So I clicked on it, and lo and behold, he's just doing all the triplets and all I was like, wow, did not know Mike had that in him, man. I mean, I know he's great, but when you see some stuff going way back to 78, 77, way back then, because all I knew him for back then was, like I said, was the hardcore Jollies versions, you know, just the screaming leads and just Maggie Brain, just playing playing the, the, the melodic lullabies, as I call them. Uh, yeah, but the rhythm, it was a very surprising to see. And, and if you listen to that track on um, that we did on, um, beware of the sample troll. You can kind of hear him plucking and doing this little thing on the guitars, man. I was like, wow, okay. And it, it <clears throat> excuse me, and he does it with ease. I mean, it's just like out of out of nowhere. Just got to find the key and get in it and, and he did his thing, man. It, that was a really, really nice session. Wow. But we're kind of jumping around. I know you're trying to keep it, you know, going, in,
1: going? A, hey,
0: in a chronological order, but, you know, sometimes I just got to jump into the future it's now everything and, come right back to,
1: you know, the past and get back again, so. Yeah, no worries. What uh, <laughs> the next record was, um, Dr. Ellenstein, uh, listen while I tell you about the clones.
0: Oh, okay, okay, so it was? 2010.
1: 2010. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mention, was... but that Zilla came out in uh, 2004, so um, it took six years for the next project okay. to.
0: Yeah, so so keep in mind, then, so this is still when I was like, okay, we can do this. We could take this all around the world for the funk, right? Let's do this. So we started, excuse <coughs> me, we started gigging heavily during that time. I mean, any little club that would have us, we would play it. I mean, Granton Green, uh, uh, what's that other club? Uh, Z something or nothing. Uh, I can't even think of them. But we were just If we can do a gig, we did a gig. Then we would get into the battle of the bands, and we were just kicking butt, I mean, tight. Like, like more staying the time tight, but with funk, right? We knew just how to look at each other and say, okay, it's time to start, time to stop, hitting it on the one, hitting it, and it was was tight. So we kept doing it, kept doing it. We even played, I want to say, before then, did we... No, we hadn't did Long Beach Funk Festival yet, but that was coming up. But just a lot of gigging. I mean, and, and time was just flying by because it took it took its toll. George right now is on what his tenth retirement tour, but you know, I, he can <laughs> he can do that, man. He can retire and come back anytime he wants. I mean, but for somebody such as myself, uh, I prefer now truly the studio side of it because I can do it at my pace it's not as much pressure and I can get really creative in this world that I've developed of the music that I'm doing but back then the gigs I mean it was just it was just it was it was really it was fun but it was also kicking my butt at the same time I mean it was I was also the, as you call, what you would call band leader, you know, even though we were doing it under the title of Zoozilla, I would be the one with the arrangements and making sure we had this part, making sure we had um, the right amps and the right wiring, the right mix. It just it took its toll. I mean, it. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it was it was tough. Learned a lot from it. Really not looking forward to doing any more gig anymore. <laughs> it will be well, tough. If,
1: would you play guitar on those shows or what? Uh,
0: if I was doing the multi instrumentalist thing. If some of them it'd be bass, some it'd be um, guitar, uh, even keyboards. It would be like a revolving stage. I couldn't couldn't just be on one instrument the whole gig. That that never never worked for me. Uh, Later, when I started doing some uh, shows with uh, Ron Cat, now, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Ron Cat Spearman mm-hmm. and their whole Cat Delic thing. Um, that guy, he reminds me a lot of James Brown. His his shows would be like four or five hours long, man I mean, you would when, when you were finished with one of his shows, <laughs> you'd be ready to go take a nap because he would wear it out. <laughs> but it was a good dude though. But it was just then that took his toll too. So. Much prop to what's much props to all those that continually do the gigging um, man, but I'm going to say just tip my hat and say <laughs> I'll come see you at the
1: show <laughs> how, how, how how and when did you come up with the uh the name which phil, name phil,
0: phil the <laughs> Instrumentalist. Phil the Funky instrumentalist how did I come up with that name hmm i don't i don't even remember i just i think i was just sitting saying what can i call myself because i want to do some solo stuff because and ah, when did we really hmm you know what no one's never asked me that question i think it just came to me i, I could not even tell you I, I was looking at something and said let me just become the funky instrumentalist couldn't really call it. It just it just came from out of nowhere and said, hey, that looks kind of long. I may have to cut it down eventually. So now it's PTFI just to, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, that one just came from out of nowhere. No one said, hey, you know what? You're an instrumentalist and you play funk. So hey, how about funky instrumental Yeah, yeah. No, I Just came I, from I, out of nowhere.
1: I see it, Phil, on the it, on your notes, or the notes, mm-hmm. wherever these came from, the notes I have, Mm-hmm. Uh, one gig open for George Clinton back in the day when you were doing those shows. Studio
0: Z, that was the name of the place. I was trying to remember the name of the place. It's Studio Z. Now that was man, that was fun. Opening up for my all-time funk uncle, Uncle Funky Man George Clinton. Jeez, that was uh, that was in San Francisco. I, I remember it was a cold, rainy night, but man, it was so funky in there. And getting to play in front of george and the rest of them and that's when we just had um uh zoozilla the first album we were doing some tracks off of there and man it was we got a really good reception people were yelling and screaming it was that was one of my all-time highs as a as a player as a fan as of the funk it was just that night i'll never forget it was it was pretty awesome and it was packed in there too people i mean people standing room only and I mean, you couldn't hardly move, but you could see people, you know, just into what we were doing. It was, it was pretty awesome.
1: Did, did you get to mingle much with the band,
0: for, uh, P-Funk? No, because no, we opened, and uh, I believe there was another act. And George, you know, did, he didn't really show up until it was time to, for him to, you know, get his way up on stage. But that was back when he was doing... Uh, when, when they, they, whenever they would do Atomic Dog, they'd have people come up on stage. So I was able to get up there with him when he was doing Atomic Dog. And zoo came up there. So that was really a memorable moment in, in our funk history. Never, never will forget it.
1: So our next record in 2010 was Illenstein, which is a strong record. I mean, I really like it. The, the title cut, Dr. Illenstein, with, um, is a really fun revisit of Funkenstein, you know, updating it. And... um I'm just going to talk about a few tracks, and you can jump in if that's cool. Okay. Um, Electric 3 with uh, Shock G. Which okay,
0: is- so that one, that's actually Electric Eel. I, I know the one looks like a uh, eye looks like it, so it's <laughs> Electric Eel, and that's um, with Shock G. Now, I've always been a fan of the Humpty and, you know, the close ties, because when you talk about bands and rap groups, he truly blended the funk like no other rap quote, rap group had ever done. I mean, you got a lot, you know, like you said, Dre would use some funk stuff underneath, it, but the stuff on top was super hardcore. With Digital Underground, he kept it more to the the funk side of it versus the hip-hop hardcore side. And what I love about Shock is that he had his two personalities. You know, you had Humpty and then he also had Shock G. So Shock G could be the smooth Casanova. And then you had Humpty Hump with the big nose, and, which was, to me, the, his version of Sir Nose. And and uh, I tell you, just working with him opened my eyes up of how talented he truly was because he's a keyboard is extraordinaire. I don't know if you ever seen him do any of shows when he actually sat down. Oh, man. He would sit down and get behind the keyboard and just do his thing. Mm. Hold on.
1: (coughs) Well, I'll (laughs) say, I know, I remember when I got Sex Packets, you know, when that (laughs) first came out. Very impressed.
0: Yep, see, and it would sound like he was doing nothing but sampling, but when you really listen to some of that stuff, you can hear it was some sample tracks on the bottom, but he would come over and just, when he said, piano man, play, and he, man, he, the chops that that guy had on the keyboard is just really, really nice. Um, and of course, you know, he was responsible for one of the, uh, some people say some of the best rappers, best rapper of all time, Tupac, you know, that was, he was from that camp, so he knew how to keep it funky, but also knew how to tap, tap into the street, and Dr. Illenstein was really close with him. He wanted him to get him on the track. He played the the instrumental track to him. He said, oh, man, no problem. What do you need? I'll come there and and set it up. And So one night, he comes over, literally goes in my backyard, pulls out a pen, and writes the whole thing. So he comes back upstairs, goes into my um, bike booth, and just starts putting all these pieces together. And I mean, that was one of the hardest engineering jobs I've ever done because he was, it was just so quick. He would just say apart, double the part, triple the part, go back add the course. I mean, it was doing it in like record time. I couldn't really keep up. I would have to say, hey man, slow down in there just a second, let me catch up to you over here. Cause the, the one thing that an engineer which is what I'm by heart that's my real love too is engineering tracks and producing folks. you never want to mess something up when somebody's in your booth giving you some true great stuff. So you don't want to say, "Oh, I didn't get that." <laughs> that could really that could really ruin the vibe if you know they're they're over there just giving you, you know, their their organic heart and soul and then something on your end isn't right. So he really taught me and showed me you got to be on your game when it comes to engineering anybody because he was just all over the place. Much, much props to Shaq G. Well,
1: I hope to have him on this show one day. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: You know what? I bet he will enjoy doing it because he's he's evolved to something else already. I mean, I've talked to him um, when uh, Pedro Bell passed not too long ago and um, we had... um, Shock G called down to uh, Ricky Vincent's uh, History of Funk Station, and he was giving us this whole breakdown of uh, 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 Rumple Steel Skin of how it's using these, what he called beautiful chords in the background. And he had like the 17 steps of uh, Rumple Steel Skin. I was like, man, we got to say that for another show, <laughs> Shock, because that will be deep. So that might be something that you and him can talk about, and I guarantee you it'll be worth your while. Nice.
1: Definitely look forward to that. Um, moving down the line on this record, clones was really hot.
0: Oh man, that originally uh Illenstein played that for Shock and he said when um Shock heard that track, he got out of he jumped out of the car and just started running around in circles because it, it just slapped him so hard. But another friend of mine, uh his name's Prothrow, ended up putting it together vocally and we ended up using him because shock really liked the excuse me that electric eel concept more so over the clones concept so but yeah clones was a uh it's it's a thumper
1: yeah (coughs) and and then also so mundane which to me i hear a lot of prince influence in that one i think of like irresistible bitch like that kind of stuff
0: yeah that that's uh stephen free that's another talented guy that I was working with he actually has like three CDs out and that was before iTunes had really taken off right where iTunes you can get pretty much anything through Apple Music or Spotify Um, he's a multi-instrumentalist guy I haven't talked to Stefan in a while but uh, very talented individual that's him doing all the vocals and doing pretty much everything and he wanted to be a part of this project because if you look at the whole Illenstein concept on that album, it's like it's almost like a combination of everything that I, and everybody who I was working with at the time. And he was one of them.
1: And tapping in, I,
0: like
1: I, the, uh, I love the space bass going on in
0: that one. Yeah, t- tapping in. That was, um, let me see. That's Illenstein on the bass and i think if i'm not mistaken that's that's me doing all the other instruments on that thing yeah that's that was pretty that was a crazy track
1: so you know when these records came out like like um Illinois I mean how did you try to uh, promote them and and what were you hoping you know might happen with them
0: at that time um, truly just trying to get them into the local stores i don't know if you've heard of uh, Amoeba, a music oh, yeah. store up here Send some to the funk store. Go to through Ricky Vincent, you know, who's the professor over here. You know, of funk, we we love him dearly. Uh, we oh, put it, some it, of his stuff. There. Oh, there you go. <laughs> the funk book, yes. Um, and just do the, just do the local channels. It was really no heavy push to say, okay, let's tour with this, because it was way too many different artists that we were dealing with at the time.
1: But mm-hmm. that record also uh uh had Trey Lou.
0: ah <laughs> the son of George Clinton.
1: Yeah.
0: Once again, Illinois Il- was connected to all these folks. He was kind of like my glue to bring a lot of the funk world together into our world. So <clears throat> messing with that guy, he's unique. I'm telling you, it's it's <laughs> Let me just, just say that he is one of the most unique people that you can meet uh, musically or just in general. He's just all over the place, very lovable guy. Um, that track was actually recorded. Which one was that? Hey Tracy, right? Um, yeah. On that album. We, uh, I remember I did the bottom track. Ill took it to um, our other buddy. His name was Rob Poole. He plays bass with Roncat. <clears throat> and they did the vocals at like that. And when they brought it back to me, I had to clean it up a little bit, but man, I was like, what the heck is this? And, and I love that when I, when I give somebody something and they do something that I wouldn't even think the direction that they would go in, and when I get it back and it's just, if it can blow me away, I was like, okay, we got to use this. This is great. Let's put that, in. matter of fact, let's, I think we even End up? No, do we? Is that the last track on that album? If I'm not mistaken, it is. Yeah. Last one. Yep. After that, you just got to drop the mic and say, "Okay, <laughs> done." <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Trey Lou is something else. He's he's a unique individual.
1: <laughs> Some people think he's a lyrical genius, uh,
0: and the way he, with the voice and yeah, the way he doubles and triples stuff is. Uh, son of GC. I mean, what more can you say? It's it's in his DNA. <laughs> Definitely. That he uh, his album. What, what was it? Drop the line. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That was, that was a sleeper. A lot of people didn't know about that. That but that was that was hidden. That album was something else, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, drop the line. is a cool track. I like Rooster on there too. Hmm.